to today's episode of Accountable Arizona Election 2022. Today, I sat down and talked with Pima County recorder Gabriella Casadas Kelly. She has been a personal hero of mine for a long time. She is unapologetic, and we as Arizonans are so lucky to have her. I wanted to know what she thought about this upcoming election. And so without further ado, here is our episode. Well, Skuktash, Anya Nepchugi, Gabriela Casas Kelly, Bismochkuk Amjit, Anya Wukapima Chukshan Ohohandam. Hi, my name is Gabriela Casas Kelly. I'm from the communities of Bismo'o and Kuk, which are located on the Thonotham Nation, which is right here in beautiful Pima County, where I serve as the county recorder. I'm elected in 2020 in office since January 2021. Um, my office oversees voter registration and early voting for the county. Why do I love Arizona? I love Arizona because everything about Arizona is my community. So like I said, I'm from the Thonotham Nation. The word Arizona actually comes from our language. It comes from the word Arshon, um, new beginnings, place of little springs. Or, and everything about Arizona is, is home. Yeah, I love it. I, I've always, I, embarrassingly enough, didn't know the origin of Arizona until, (laughs) so I'm glad I've keep being like, it's the best. And now I have a better anchor. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, you know, just, there's no um, separating community from Arizona, uh, you know, as a whole. So it just, it, people talk a lot about, you know, being so fed up that they want to move away or, or leave or go somewhere else. And I'm like, number one, I could never even imagine that happening to like my entire community, my traditional lands, my belief system, like literally every thing about Arizona, the, the monsoons, the the sun, the mountains, like everything revolves around, you know, who I am as a, as a person. So I can't even imagine that idea. I hate, I always hate the either, well, why don't you move or like, no, this is why, like, I want better. This is our home. Yeah, this is home. Yeah, we're here. And we've already, you've mentioned communities several several times um, so far. Which Arizona communities are extra special to you? So um, I'm Native American, I'm Thana Otham. And so of course, um, I have connections with the 22 distinct tribal nations throughout the state. You know, we are all kind of related. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we're, we come from distinct backgrounds. So I'm really close there. Um, I've also been an educator for the majority of my life. So um, I have a really, I care a lot about educators and students. I am uh, a part of the union. I'm a dues paying union sister, um, uh, still as a, as an educator. And I support labor and working people and everyday, everyday people. Yes. (laughs) And, um, and I'm also, I'm also just in big support of the LGBTQ community, the migrant community, 
I, I can't even yes. tell you. Like right. we're all interrelated. We're all interconnected. Yes. So, um, but those are some of those are some of the ones that I come to mind. Yeah, and I definitely appreciate you calling those out because it's a wide range that I don't think, unfortunately, comes to mind first for a lot of people when they think Arizona. Um, and we we're all here. It's all and trying to make it, you know, trying to get by in these wild 2022 times. So we, you're one of the first people I've talked to outside of Maricopa County and uh, not necessarily on purpose, just out of, there's so many great people to talk to. I'm in Maricopa County, so it limits me a little bit, but what unique voting accessibility issues have you seen that you might not think of as kind of your average day-to-day voter? For Pima County. So actually, this is the whole reason that I got involved in this office to begin with was because I foolishly thought that I could host (laughs) a, um, a voter registration table at the community college where I worked. And I thought it would take like two afternoons and like, it would be fun and no big deal. And instead, I had a ton of Native and non-Native students who had so many questions and were facing so many additional barriers. So one big thing, you know, because you're in Maricopa, the majority of Maricopa is urban, like right. it's city. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They're paved roads and they're, you know, every road has a name and every house has a number. And that is not the situation in other rural parts of Maricopa does have some rural parts, but not as much as Pima County. And so we have like, for example, the Thonotham Nation, my home where I grew up, I could not give you an address for you to find it on Google. I could give you directions. And then um, we would get to a certain point where, you know, instead of saying, you know, I would have to say, turn um, south down Highway 86, go down Indian Route 15, drive until you see the red fence, take a right at the red fence, go down the dirt road, take a left at the big tree. That's literally the directions to my house and my cousin lives lives next door. So we don't have house numbers or street names. And, you know, that's when you, when you're asking for somebody to put that information down on a form that becomes a question, a concern, a worry, and it prevents people from from being able to simply just register. And so that was an issue. Also, many communities, especially tribal communities, will heavily utilize tribal identification cards. Those are our cards, uh, just like, you know, in some places, kind of like a driver's license, I guess. In order to qualify for one, though, like, you have to have your you know, you have to be established with the, the tribe. Right. So it's not just anybody can get a tribal ID, but you have to be a, a, an official recognized member of that tribe. And you'd get a, an identification card, which is in your local community. It's understood. Everybody has one. It's heavily used. <laughs> and then, But when people go to vote, Arizona state government thinks of it as a lesser form of identification. And won't accept it, you know, without, there's some caveats there. Right. And so people feel less comfortable about using it. Are they able to use it? 
or if they use it uh, somewhere where it's not commonly used and somebody says, oh, you can't use this when, you know, you clearly can. Those are, those are bigger issues that, that come up. And, you know, those are things that we see in more rural tribal areas and rural areas in general, because rural means out in open space. Right. Usually right. means far away from a motor vehicle division. <laughs> yeah. And so those are additional barriers that, you know, people just don't really think about. It's like, oh, you would have had to have driven three hours to come into town to, to take a, a test at motor vehicle division or to get your state ID three hours, round trip, six hours. So people don't really think about that. Yeah, that's a day of work. That's yeah. like the time it takes to compile compile these documents. That and are, you have to, and you also have to recognize that you know a lot of the places where people are lacking driver's licenses, it's because they're usually lacking vehicles. Because you know they might have one vehicle for their entire household, opposed to you know in urban areas where you might have three you know, three, four vehicles parked outside. And so, um, you know, with no no public transportation available and, you know, less people own vehicles and, you know, what are you going to do with your kids for half the day if right. mom is trying to take their teenager and their little ones here to town for, you know, like it's it's a big thing as opposed to, tribal identification card that's available within their own community right. that, you know, might take an hour to get or something. Yeah. Still adding six, time seven. to, exactly. yeah. 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 That's frustrating. I, so I'm originally from Marenzi, just out in our <laughs> rural and yeah, just, I always wondered with like our DMV was open Tuesdays and Thursdays from right. like, <laughs> 10 to two, maybe. <laughs> and they only do driving tests on Wednesdays. So I have, they're sure there's a lot of different issues. Well, the Thonautomation, the Thonautomation is the size of Connecticut. It's wow. the second largest reservation in the country. It's where I grew up. Right. Uh, so it's the size of Connecticut without any of the road structure or public transportation. And there is no DMV at all. So in order for people to come from that community, you know, in, in different parts, because it's so huge, it could be a three or four hour drive into town. And so you have to have those resources to be able to do that. And it's, it's quite a burden. It is. And just, I overlook comes, the word that comes to mind is just, it's so frustrating to hear, because I think one of the reasons I wanted to kind of get into this podcast too is I know, and forgive me for saying this, because I promise I have a point, but I know people are tired of being told to vote yeah, to solve totally. issues. And so I just, I wish we were having more of these conversations. And I think that's, you know, that's a big part of it too, is it was such an eye-opener for me when I realized how difficult it was for people to get registered to vote. And at the time when I was starting to um, be more intentional about registering voters, you couldn't even do it online if you had a non-standard address. And so then it was like, well, where do you get the forms? And there's one post office on the Thought Nation. 
and they didn't have the forms. And it literally took me as a civilian, you know, just right. some ran, random member of the public calling the Pima County recorder and saying, hey, they don't have forms here. And then the recorder says, well, they didn't want to have forms there. And so, you know, there was some conf confusion about whether or not there could be forms. And, you know, there's a lot of concern about like ensuring that you're not being partisan. And so the postmaster really needed a clarification that like, no, this is, this is nonpartisan and it's expected and it's not political, you know, yeah. it's not political, it's just access. And so I, as an individual had to have a separate conversation with the postmaster and the recorder to get them to connect. And, you know, I didn't realize, you know, like people are just trying to get the form and they can't do it online. So we keep saying, you need to vote, you need to vote. It's, you know, like, it's right. so important. We're shaming people. We're angry at people pointing the fingers. And in reality, most people don't know how to get connected, how to get started, you know. Um, and, and when we really think about um, access, access as a whole, the more and more I started digging into voter registration, the more shocking it was for me because, you know, I started thinking about like, like my grandmother, my grandmother was born in 1918 and Arizona was already a state and people love to brag that, you know, we had women's suffrage before the rest of the country um, when we were established in 1912, but that didn't apply to my grandmother because she was native, she was native, not American, because she would not be considered a United States citizen until 1924. And then when she was considered a citizen after 1924, she was considered a ward of the state, meaning she did not have the ability to make decisions on her own, according to the state. Right. So it wasn't until two World War II veterans went to war came back, tried to register in Maricopa County, and they were denied by the Maricopa County recorder. And they sued the state of Arizona, and we won the right to vote in 1948. My grandmother was 30 years old. She would have been 30. Wow. But that didn't mean that she could still just freely vote. Right. Um, it really meant, you know, literacy tests or the KKK could be standing out front intimidating people. And it really wasn't until the civil rights movement, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the Congressman John Lewis, and the thousands of others who marched for civil rights paved the way for the voting rights of 1965. Right. How about in my grandmother, her name was Catherine Jose Maria. She's a brilliant lady, so funny. She was the gossip queen of this mall, the village. We would have gotten along great. <laughs> like the coolest lady, um, but she didn't speak English. Mm. And so she didn't have uh, rights to a language translator until like the 19th, the mid 1970s, which is not that long ago. It's not. So a lot of times people will, you know, like point their fingers, this, this group of people, they don't care. This group of people doesn't care. But if you really, really like dig deep down into it, it's not even that it was, I used to say like, 
it, it wasn't designed for us. But then I was corrected by, um, not corrected, but I heard uh, Peggy Flanagan, she's the Lieutenant Vice uh, Governor of Minnesota. And she okay. says, it's not that it, that it wasn't designed for us, it was designed to exterminate us. And so even though we've had all of this progress and all of this movement, we have to recognize that access to voting was specifically meant to eradicate people. Right. And it was to eliminate people and exterminate people. And we really have to recognize that. And yeah. I don't ever think like voting is the most important thing you can do. Like that's, that's not true. I think it's the least that you can do. I think it's the least you can do if you have the right and the privilege and the opportunity to vote because a lot of our, our community doesn't. And then the, the most important thing is for people to get involved. Yeah. Oh, man. And then it's just so frustrating because we see we've supposedly made progress, right? And then we still have new items on the ballot to keep pushing backwards it's just i know we can kind of segue with that of uh the next question i was going to ask is what are you excited or what do you feel voters should be excited to vote for and and yep that face is exactly <laughs> why i wanted to find some things to be excited about but well i will say that i i personally am very excited to vote for a new governor, a new attorney general, and a new secretary of state. Yes. Um, I'm very excited and also very nervous <laughs> uh, because those three positions in particular really impact my daily work. That And that goes to voter access. And so the secretary of state's office, we work with that office every single week. You know, I've got something on the books every week with the secretary of state's office. They provide training, they provide resources, guidance. You know, they, they keep the 15 other, so there's 15 recorders in the state. So the 14 other recorders and I in communication about, you know, our different systems and protocols and procedures and policies. And then the attorney general's office approves the elections procedures manual, which the secretary of state's office and the recorders and the elections directors all work on together. And the attorney general then is supposed to codify that uh, into, you know, essentially making it alongside the governor. And the governor also impacts our office by either striking down really harmful election legislation or and otherwise setting the tone for the state. And so I think those three are something, you know, I'm I'm excited for pro-voting, pro-voter access candidates for those those three in particular. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, on wood. Yeah. <laughs> People be like recorder. Like, what's <laughs> number one? What's that? Because in a yeah. different state, it might be called a registrar right. or a clerk. Um, mm -hmm. But here in Pima County, it's called a recorder. And the background of that is, um, you know, back when um, our state was 
uh, first established and we had to decide who was eligible to vote and who wasn't, it was tied to property ownership. And so my office records property, um, any, any property transaction, deeds and property maps and all of those kinds of things, liens, all of those go through um, our office. And in fact, mm-hmm. people can't get their keys to their home unless they've recorded their their documents with us. Like that's how integral it is to, to that function. So who better than the recorder, somebody who is able to look and see who owns property to determine whether or not they're eligible to vote. And so that's where it's been. That's why it's under the same roof because these are two very separate like property and voting, two right, very separate right. functions. And over the years, of course, as voter expansion has changed and voter access has changed, those requirements have changed. But what hasn't is the need to retain records. And so because our office uh, maintains that voter file, which, you know, a long time ago used to just be a handful of people. And now we have over 625,000 registered voters. We're responsible for that data and recording and maintaining that data. Interesting. Very learning all kinds of fun history (laughs) today. Thank you. Um, My next uh, question, I know we, I really liked the framing of it's the least you can do as a voter. What are some other ways you think that Arizonans can hold our elected officials accountable? You should be in contact with your elected officials. If you have questions, we work for you. I, I, I'm really shocked by how many, how many elected officials forget that. <laughs> we, we work for the people. We, uh, we work for constituents and for voters. And if you're experiencing a problem, you should let our office know. You should let whatever situation, you know, um, is recurring, you know, and, and bother the heck out of your elected official. Um, sometimes that's just making phone calls, or maybe it's sending an email or a tweet or whatever, but, you know, ask to meet with them. And they're not, they're not your, they're not necessarily your enemy. They're not your, you know, they're not going to be your friend, whatever. But I think to have a real conversation and if it's impacting you, it's likely impacting 10 other people or a hundred other people, a thousand other people. Um, And so the more we hear about it, the more we can work on it. And I think in general, the majority of elected officials want to do good by their communities. You know, we live here. We're a part of this community too. And so absolutely you should be reaching out. Yeah, I agree. It's not scary. That's always my, and and we're just regular people. Like we're just regular human beings. I don't want to be like self-deprecating and say like, oh, I'm not special, (laughs) but really we just have the audacity to run for office. Right, and right. Otherwise, we're just regular people. Yeah, you're very special, that's, especially in other ways. That's the. <laughs> so my last kind of question I have, um, and I think we've touched on a few things, but we could feel free to rant away. Uh, what scares you as an Arizona voter? <sighs> There's a lot. <laughs> I think right now I'm really, I'm really frightened uh, about 
where the Arizona State Legislature were the majority, not all, right, but the majority of the state legislature is headed and their efforts to destabilize voting as a whole and remove access from voters. I think it's 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 frightening. What they're trying to do is it's like it's like we're watching some post-apocalyptic thing happen in a movie or in a book. Like it's literally, that's where we're at right now. So I'm really scared about that. And I'm also scared of just how much of our community has bought into a lot of the fears and how, how commonplace it's become. Like these conspiracy theories are just common and you just hear them and people just, just comes out of their mouth. And um, that's really scary to me because there's a lot at stake. I am really careful about like talking about how voting is not life or death. And at the same time, voting is kind of life or death. Not the act itself, but what it leads to. And I'm from the native community. And when COVID first hit and our communities didn't have access to the internet, like, the access to the internet seems like an inconvenience or like people are just like, they don't take it seriously. They're like, oh, well, they just can't stream videos and watch YouTube. It was literally telling people how to stay safe and how to not spread COVID. And then we were hit the hardest. And so we were, and we were turning to the internet as our source of information. And so when you think about it like that, you're like, oh, wow, that was really important. But We're choosing elected officials or people who make budgets who do not support internet infrastructure in rural communities. We think about the health services that were provided or test kits, like rather than anything useful, like PPE, masks, or gloves, the Navajo Nation received body bags. They literally got a shipment of body bags instead of PPE. So when we think about, you know, it it may not be the very next day that you're going to see a difference, um, but if you put people who don't value you as a person or who think that you're lesser uh, because you're poor or because you're LGBTQ or because you're brown or black or you've had a felony conviction or something, if they somehow think that you're lesser, then they're okay with providing less money to whatever it is that's going to help sustain you. And eventually that could lead to the death of of your community and and people that you love. And I think that it's, people don't recognize that enough. And it's like, you know, like I'm saying, it's not the most important thing you can do, right? but if it's one little thing you can do to, to get, people who are at least kind or people who will listen in office, you know, maybe that results in, you know, your community getting food instead of body bags or, you know what I mean? Um, So I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared at where we're headed that way. And I'm scared of the hate, the blatant hate uh, that's coded as, People try to pretend it's it's like this fiscal responsibility 
but really it's white supremacy. And Absolutely. I don't think that people are taking it seriously enough. And so that scares me. It scares me because we maybe haven't hit rock bottom, even though sometimes it feels like it. I know. Um, it, it, yeah, it scares me too. Especially, I just, there seems to be such a willingness to ignore QAnon within our own state. And yeah, it's easy to write off as stupid rednecks or idiots, et cetera, et cetera. But they've pulled off a domestic terrorist attack and <laughs> we're just pretending they don't exist. But it's, yeah. it's wild. It's been side, wild. Yeah. Uh, side tangent. Um, well, before Zoom kicks us off, sorry, um, I stopped paying for it after we went or after the first year of COVID, but is there any last message uh, you would like to leave uh, listeners, voters, the people of Arizona? Yeah, I think, I think for me, I really struggle because I'm also a leftist. I'm progressive. I'm, I have a high standard for, you know, who we're voting in or out of office. And you know, sometimes I'm choosing between somebody that I don't like between them and somebody that I loathe. And um, I'm really sometimes struggling with that. What I'm always reminding people is, you know, you don't have to like this person and their personality and, and all of those things. You just have to either believe that you have access to those people, that what you say is going to make a difference, that you can influence the way that that person thinks or or whatever that is but if if there are candidates who surround themselves by people who scare you and who you don't feel safe walking in front of then you're not going to have access to that person and that's something that's really really important and so if you're looking simply uh for that you know you i encourage people reach out to those candidates, talk to, talk, see who's going to talk to you, see who's going to respond or their staff, the people that they hire around them. It's not always the flashy personality that's out right. there. It's, it's what they are prioritizing within their time. And are they going to give you and your community time? Because that time could lead to a change in mind or an understanding. And that could be really, really important uh, to you and your community saying that you don't like somebody because they're annoying when they hold the keys to that access, like we have to move beyond that. So that's what I encourage for you. I'm all around. Thank you. I, I needed to hear that today. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time so much. Um, thank you again to recorder Cassidus Kelly for being willing to share with me her thoughts and insights. I learned so much from our conversation, and I hope you did too. Stay accountable, Arizona. And thank you to local artist Junk Dior for our intro and outro music.